morning, everyone. I'm Father Krebs, and I am the judicial vicar for the Diocese of Bismarck, uh, which basically means, I joke, that the bishop didn't think I was smart enough about four years ago and sent me back to school for three more years, and I just finished 23rd grade about a year ago. So <laughs> I'm finally, hopefully, done with school for a long time, at least. Um, but what I do for the diocese, um, I, am, I work in the diocesan offices and work, and work on all the marriage cases and declaration and nullity cases. Um, and so Monsignor Schumacher has asked me to come and fill in and take all the masses this weekend and preach on marriage. And uh, I'm just happy to be here. This is actually the parish I was baptized uh, in a long time ago now. Um, but I'm from Bismarck and I live at the cathedral, but my full-time assignment is at the diocesan offices. And so since I'm preaching on marriage, the bishop has allowed me to use a different gospel, which uh, you noticed today. So first, I want to be clear, though, that I am not an expert on marriage lived day in and day out because, as you all know, I'm not married and uh, I don't plan on getting married. Uh, I did when I was in high school, grew up like any normal human being, had girlfriends in high school and college. Um, but eventually I heard the call to become a priest and I love being a priest. It's been an incredible, incredible life. So if there's any young men out there that are thinking about it, give it a shot. You know, just go to seminary for one year, give it a shot. It's been an awesome, awesome ride. Uh, but what I want to say also is that my assignment then for the diocese is not to know live day in, day out of marriage, but it's to know whether a marriage was validly contracted on the day of the wedding or it wasn't at all. And I'll explain. I also want to explain at, at the beginning here that our goal in life as Catholics is to, be, to follow Jesus, to follow his teachings and be his disciples. Jesus knows that we're sinners. We know we're sinners. And he knows that our lives can be messy at times. But he nonetheless is calling us to conversion and to remain faithful to him and his teachings even when he knows it is difficult for us. Remember also that our hearts are made for more. Our hearts will not be fulfilled by anything on this earth. I'm going to state that again. Our hearts will not be fulfilled by anything on this earth. One of the most basic principles of Christianity is Jesus is the true source of our happiness and fulfillment in life because he is infinite and our hearts will only rest truly rest in him therefore one spouse though very very important that spouse will not cause the fulfillment that Jesus can before I get into the gospel today what Jesus said I want to explain a little bit about what takes place at a wedding. The couple comes before God freely and without force. They're obviously wanting to get married. They're wanting to enter into marriage. And they're actually the ministers of the sacrament of matrimony, meaning that the deacon or priest assisting is not the minister of the sacrament of matrimony. The priest or deacon basically stands there and says, I heard you loud and clear. This is what you guys are agreeing to. This is what you're consenting to. You guys are making this choice. Which then 
leads to a question, well, what are they consenting to? What are they agreeing to? Or a bigger question is, well, what is marriage? And the answer is, marriage is a special contract. It's a special agreement, or what God calls a covenant. So with any contract or covenant, there are terms that the couple or the parties agree to. And the words that the couple say to each other freely are these things that some of you will remember saying yourselves. I take you to be my wife or husband. I promise to be faithful to you in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, to love you and to honor you all the days of my life. Therefore, the couple themselves, they're agreeing that they want their marriage to be exclusive, meaning that they only want two people involved in this relationship. They're also agreeing that they're making a bond with each other, a covenant with each other that's indissoluble, which is just a big word for basically meaning the only way that marriage is dissolved is by death of one of the spouses. Therefore, it follows that no civil authority or even religious authority has the power to break that covenant. Once again, it's only death that they're agreeing to that of one of the spouses that will actually break the bond or dissolve the bond. Therefore, even if civil divorce takes place, only the civil effects or civil benefits or duties would be removed. The marriage itself is still intact. Meaning that even if civil divorce takes place, the divorce itself does not dissolve the matrimonial covenant. And therefore, the marriage itself between, the covenant between them, still exists. Now to the gospel. Jesus says, Therefore, what God has joined together, no human being must separate. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Jesus is clearly aware of the situation in the world then and now, but he still states that if divorce takes place, then a remarriage or second marriage to someone else is sinful. That statement can be confusing, so I'm going to state it one more time in a different way. The civilly attempted second marriage to someone else is what makes it sinful not necessarily divorce. So then that brings up another question. Is civil divorce allowed? And the answer is yes, it is allowed in certain circumstances where living together can no longer take place. And one terrible, terrible example would be the case of abuse. The couple should obviously separate They should obviously not be living with each other any longer. The church nor God would ever want somebody to remain in a sinful or a harmful, harmful situation. But if the abuse took place later on, even in this terrible circumstance, the marriage itself would still remain 
intact, even if they're separated, even if civil divorce takes place. Therefore, this doesn't allow for a so-called second marriage or remarriage to someone else. And this is what Jesus is referring to in the gospel. Maybe at this point you're wondering, well, what do I do all day long at the diocesan offices? Or I guess a bigger question is, well, what is the process for the declaration of nullity of marriage, commonly known as an annulment? First, I want to explain that the term annulment is actually incorrect. It's actually not the term that the church officially uses because the term refers to annulling something, which would imply that something existed at one point and then later on was canceled or dissolved. The real term, the declaration of nullity, is exactly what the words say. It is declaring that the marriage was null from the beginning or that the marriage was never contracted from the beginning, even though there seemed to be a normal wedding ceremony that took place. The declaration of nullity is not the breaking or dissolving of the covenant of marriage. Because once again, the church doesn't even have the power to dissolve a marriage. And once again, marriage is only dissolved by death of one of the spouses. Therefore, a declaration of nullity is actually a court case. It's a trial, and I am one of the, one of the three judges that looks at every marriage case. So a declaration of nullity is then where one, or, or one of the spouses or both of the spouses is asking the church to investigate and see if the marriage ever really existed in the first place, even though there might have been a normal wedding ceremony. The church then needs evidence to show that the marriage covenant never was truly established or created on the day of their wedding. So let's take a step back and look at it from a positive angle. What makes a valid marriage then? How does one enter into a valid marriage? For marriage to be valid, both the spouses on the wedding day itself need to be free. They can't be forced into it. They need to have the psychological capabilities and have the right intention for marriage and choose marriage. And Catholics need to be married through the Roman Catholic Church or receive a dispensation from the bishop. If one of these requirements is lacking or missing, then the marriage consent was invalid. Therefore, the matrimonial covenant was never truly created in the first place. So to explain, an extreme example would be the case of one of the spouses prior to marriage was abducted and then was basically forced into a marriage due to threats. The spouse that was threatened may have said all the words, showed up at the wedding, but wasn't freely doing so. Therefore, the so-called spouse never really consented to marriage in the first place, and therefore the matrimonial covenant between the two people was never established on the day of their wedding. Another example would be if one of the spouses is Catholic and they only married outside of the church or let's say they got married in the, just in the justice of the peace. 
meaning they didn't get married through the Catholic Church. Then their marriage would be invalid and the matrimonial covenant was never created. In that situation, it would be even more problematic and sinful if one or both of them, in this example, were married validly prior to this new union with a new person. And this is what Jesus is referring to in the gospel. So evidence is needed for proof, just in any court case. In a civil court case, someone is presumed innocent until proven guilty. Marriage is very similar. Marriage is presumed valid, that it was validly contracted, until it is proven with enough evidence that it wasn't contracted on the day of their wedding. And all or most of the evidence needs to refer to the wedding day, needs to refer to the moment of consent. Therefore, most of the time, the events that occur after the wedding or throughout the marriage, such as addictions, abuse, or infidelity that develops later, these things may not be evidence that would prove that the marriage wasn't validly contracted on the wedding day beforehand. We're mostly looking at how did the relationship begin, not how it ended. Just because a relationship broke down later on doesn't mean that the marriage wasn't validly contracted on the day of the wedding from the very beginning. Therefore, if there isn't truly enough evidence at the time of consent on the wedding day to prove that the marriage wasn't validly contracted, then the marriage is presumed to have been validly contracted, truly contracted on the day of the wedding. This means if anyone approaches the tribunal at the Diocese of Bismarck, that doesn't mean that every case will be proved that they didn't enter into marriage. Because the goal of the whole process, just like any court case, is to seek the truth, and the truth at the moment of consent on the wedding day, and not to just simply hand out annulments. So I know this homily is really long. We're almost done. I usually don't preach this long. I'm usually only about five minutes on Sunday, but we're almost done, so bear with me. It's almost over with. So lastly, can Catholics in these irregular marital situations receive communion and go to confession and receive absolution? Well, I'll explain with a couple examples. In the case of a Catholic who is married only civilly and not in the church, then the Catholic cannot receive communion or even absolution in confession until they were married in the Catholic Church or get a dispensation because they have not truly made a matrimonial covenant with each other. Another case would be if a Catholic was married validly in the church and then got civilly divorced and then civilly remarried someone else outside of the church. This person also would not be able to receive communion or even absolution in confession. Because in both of these examples, they would be living with and acting as if they were married to someone 
that they have not actually married or that they haven't made a matrimonial covenant with. And this is where the problem lies. If they don't intend to change their situation in life, which is objectively sinful, then there is no true repentance or contrition. And if there's no repentance or contrition or an intention to change one's life, then absolution in confession cannot be given. The last example is someone who is married validly in the church, but separates and then civilly, even civilly divorces the spouse, but never attempts marriage or a relationship with anyone else, with another person. That person is free to receive communion and even go to confession because they are not in a stable state of adultery. So I know this topic is very difficult. It's, uh, it's very hard. Uh, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm immersed with it every day and I know it's very difficult and I empathize with anyone in a situation like that or know somebody in a situation like that. Um, but I just know that wherever I go, people ask me, Father, what, what's your assignment? And I say, I work at the diocese and I work in all the marriage cases. And basically everyone has had tons of questions for me, which I'm happy to answer. And because I know all of these, this has affected all of us in some way. And it's very difficult and I empathize with that. Um, so I just wanted to give a brief explanation. I could have sat here longer, which I'm sure you're very happy that I'm almost done. Um, but if you want to hear the homily or don't want to hear the homily again, I am going to the cathedral next weekend to do the same thing. So if you don't want to be there, don't show up there. <laughs> Stay here then. <laughs> I have left uh, pamphlets in the entryways. Uh, if anyone wants to get more information to contact us or to refer a friend to us, we're here to help in any sort of way. We can obviously only do so much. We can help uh, because the, in the end, if the marriage was contracted validly or not, that's what we're determining. And so we can only help so much, but we're, we will do whatever we can. So out of this really, really long, maybe burdensome homily, if you remember one thing at all, and you walk away with something, remember that Jesus is our true source of happiness. He is the only one, only thing, only person who can totally fulfill us and totally complete us. And all of us are here is because we believe that. We want to follow Jesus. We want to be his disciples and follow his teachings. And Jesus gives us his teachings because he wants what's best for us. He wants us to be happy. And it's on this earth, here, now. And he wants us to be happy with him forever in heaven.